Nanny Doss was her own PR agent. She overpowered the news in the mid-1950s by flirting on camera, cracking morbid jokes, and framing her horrible crimes as nothing more than a fluke on the path to finding Mr. Right. And love can justify anything. Right? This is the case of Nanny Doss. Welcome to Enter the Dark. Hello and welcome to Enter the Dark. I am Yam. With me always is Les. How's it going? All good, man. Good? Yeah? All feeling good? good? Feeling good. Feeling You're tired, good. aren't you? I'm tired. I've not had much sleep. You see, like, we're um, actually recording slash filming. In the day. In the day. Yeah. In the daytime. So, no drinks. Yet. Yet. We, you've just literally been discussing... It's 10 to 12 now. Discussing if 12 o'clock is a socially acceptable time to drink. It's true. That's so. true. Well, it's my first day off. I've had two hours sleep, and we're, we're getting hardcore today, aren't we? We are. We're going to. Rec- we're recording a lot of them because you know this is the end of an era of recording in the haunted bedroom, isn't it? It is. It is the end of an era, yeah. uh, indeed. Um, your boy is moving. He's um, he's in love. Mm-hmm. Look at me in love. Nobbed. <laughs> anyway, um, speaking of people who aren't nobbed, it's our Patreon supporters, who we have Hannah Blue Harrington, Amanda Champagne, Astoria Crowley, Amy Emmer and Jack Coleman, Lisa Dempsey, Marie T. Jensen, Casey the Cannibal, Becky Louise, Izzy from the Clink, Jules Henderson, Michelle Hudson, Alicia Llewellyn, Mandy, Mandy Madden, Fire Pixie, Little Mascara, Elle, Swiss Phil, Krista, Elizabeth Lee, Cookie Fanny, and Verena Schmidt. Thank you all. If Thank you, you. want to get your name shouted out or just support as you can do by going to www.patreon.com forward slash enter the dark anything from a dollar or up to fifty dollars just gives you money you know i've got pay extra petrol now to drive further away to a worse end of town longton isn't that bad it's a shithole as and you know it's not the bit of longton that i'll be living in it lives near, it's near me if you lightwood it's at the bottom of lightwood road yeah it's like beirut there's only been one killing in the last seven days. Yeah. And that was that tramp that you killed. Look, right, that wasn't proven. And <laughs> you shouldn't have fucking looked at me that way. You shouldn't. Anyway, so yeah, Nanny Doss. Now, Les, do you know anything about Nanny Doss? No, nothing. Uh, surprise, surprise. This is the kind of woman who would have lured you in. She would have done. So let's get started. Now, do you know why she would have lured you in? Because one of her many virtuitous, refined, and yes, straight-up housewifely skills the 49-year-old nanny possessed was her ability to bake a mean cake. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, anything you love cakes. We discussed this about Rose West, didn't we? You did, Her being, yeah. like, a pretty good baker. I mean, I think they keep their cooking implements away from Rose West now. Yeah. She was being finger-banged by Myra Hindley, though, wasn't she? Yeah. Allegedly. I mean... I'd pay to watch that. Just definitely, because. you know, it'd be a challenging wank, or would it? One day she sent a buttery homemade confection all the way from her home in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to Goldsboro, North Carolina, intending to woo a 60-year-old dairy farmer named John Keel. Now, the man was smitten with her humorous letters and her obvious skill in the kitchen, and hoped that Nanny would soon head east to be his bride. Nanny was stuck in Tulsa for the time being, caring for a sick, aged aunt. But Keel felt sure that they'd shortly be together. I mean, 
sounds lovely so far, doesn't it? It does. It's got a woman wholesome. sending you cake. And back there, you know, sending cake through the post. That's got to be hard. As you have, like, yeah. It's going to be hard now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, they would have had preservatives back then. Probably fucking more than we have yeah. now. Like. But anyway, but before Keel could get his hands on a ring, he learned something horrifying about his lady love. She had just been arrested. There was no aged aunt. There had never been an aged aunt. The person that she had been caring for was her husband, and now he was dead. I'm mighty proud, I'm mighty proud that she didn't come to my part of the country, Keel later said. In that exact voice. In that exact voice. <clears throat> now, the nanny that Keel thought he knew was born Nancy Hazel in 1906. Her family owned a farm in Calhoun County, Alabama, and her parents were strict. Nanny had to work in the fields from a very young age, and she was by no means allowed to run around with boys. Today, rumours abound that her father was abusive and that Nanny rebelled by slipping around as much as she could. You do that, don't you? Not anymore. Someone says, no, Les, you can't do that. You just shag around. Uh, no. So he got Yoko. Where's the lie? It doesn't... There that's not there. how... It was, like, perfectly normal, just dating. Like, dating sites met up on a date, you know? Make me out to be some sort of roving Lothario. Maybe just angry. Just angry. <laughs> angry. <laughs> How dare you take my best friend. Now, we don't know this for a fact, but we do know that he was controlling and that she liked boys a lot. In fact, the austerity of her boyfriend Liss upbringing was something Nanny would rebel against for the rest of her life. She loved the cock, essentially. Long before she thought of boys, though, she suffered a terrible accident. When Nanny was seven, she was riding along in a train when the whole thing crunched to a sudden stop, and she split her head wide open against the metal bar of the seat in front of her. She felt the repercussions of this injury forever. Awful headaches and a sense that something that sometimes she was thinking crooked. Head injury. Head injury. The Hazels were perpetually poor, and by the time Nanny was 15, a gap-toothed rosy-cheeked cutie. She was dropped out of school to work on the farm full-time. Now, that same year, she got married. Now, it wasn't exactly a Romeo and Juliet-type situation. The man, Charlie Braggs, was someone her strict father had already approved for it. But Braggs himself was thrilled at the match at first. Nanny presented herself to him as a church woman, and Braggs found her a pretty girl, good build, and lots of fun. Big childbearing hips is what he meant by good build there. Voluptuous. Yeah, he's looking like, well, your girlfriend with her narrow hips, she'll only be able to have about six or seven children. Now, Nanny, however, found it difficult to stay put. She was quick-tempered, said Braggs. Her whole family is like that. Sometimes she would go mad for a reason, and sometimes it seemed not. She'd pout and then go off for days or weeks, often with other men. He found out that she was no more Christian than if she had never heard the Bible preached. Savages. Now, they had five children, but three of them died young, and Braggs harboured a few unspeakable suspicions about that fact. He noticed that two of the babies had shown symptoms of severe stomach troubles just before they died, and had turned black so quick. His not racist, by the way, there. No, no, like... Yeah, the skin turned black. No, yeah. He wasn't being a racist there. Um, his misgivings left a horrible taste in his mouth. What could he do? Motherhood was a woman's world and a mystery to him. It's just like, you look after your kids, it's not that old. It's 
not. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Something else went wrong during their marriage. Nanny's father left him mother. Nanny despised him for it and refused to let him see his grandkids. Perhaps in her mind, her father had failed to hold up his end of the bargain, which was fully inhabit the role of husband. The breakup only increased her adoration for her mum, though, and she said, I'd get down on my knees and crawl anywhere for my mother, she said years later. Their love would eventually come under severe questioning, but Nanny was always adamant about this one thing. She loved her mother and she would never hurt someone she loved so purely. Motherhood didn't suit Nanny, though, and neither did marriage, at least not the imperfect marriage she had with Braggs. After eight years of fighting in suspicion, Braggs grew tired of chasing Nanny around Alabama and filed for divorce. Sensing that Nanny was either unfit or willing to take care of her two remaining girls, he kept their oldest daughter and sent the other one to live with Nanny's dad. I mean... It's like, oh yeah, I'll keep the oldest one and you can go live with your granddad, who is abusive, possibly. Quite nice. Keep both of them. Got two pairs of hands for the farm there, aren't you? Yeah. Anyway, years later, Nanny told a reporter that she didn't hate men, despite what her actions implied, because some men were good. She certainly enjoyed male company, and she was always pursuing men, writing to them, flirting with them, marrying them, and the men she met were good, at least. That's what their friends, neighbours, and family members said. Nanny told a different story. In her version of events, she was forever the innocent princess, disappointed again and again by a long line of unsatisfactory suitors. Now, on the night of Friday, November 26, 1954, the police of Tulsa, Oklahoma, were surprised to see a plump, jovial, quintessentially grandmotherly figure brought into the police station on suspicion of murdering her fifth husband. The woman, Nanny Doss, was coquettish and hilarious, and the police were taken aback by her cheerful disposition. She talks a lot, said Detective Harry Steig, but not about the case. She laughingly brushed off questions about arsenic and autopsies and unhappy marriages. <laughs> she smoked her cigarette and her eyes sparkled. They're like, did you put in them men? <laughs> oh, officer, are you flirting with me? She said, no. So it took 24 hours of on and off interrogation before Nanny admitted that all right, yeah, she'd poisoned her husband, Sam Doss, by spiking his coffee with rat poison. Around midnight, she signed a formal statement admitting that she was a murderer. Meanwhile, reports were trickling into the police station of more dead husbands, a dead step-grandson, and the long-held suspicions people had about the smiling, talkative widow. Now, after a weekend of continued interrogation, Nanny giggled at the police officers and told them she was finally ready to clear her conscience. Sam Doss wasn't her only victim, she declared. I declare. I do declare. She had five husbands and she'd killed four of them. After Charlie Bragg's divorce, her nanny had married an older man named Frank Harrelson from Jacksonville, Alabama, who had children from a previous marriage. According to nanny, Harrelson was a mean, abusive drunk. She tolerated his weekend benders for 15 years, until the day he came home plastered and snarled. If you don't kind of be come with me to bed now I ain't gonna be here next week I decided I'll teach him said Nanny and I did Harrelson had the habit of drinking cheap rock gut whiskey from the old fruit jar hidden in a flower bin so Nanny found the jar and stirred in a healthy portion of liquid arsenic the next time Harrelson ducked out for a secretive nip of the hard stuff he died I love how in the 1950s and stuff you could just go and go can 
have some arsenic, please. Like, yeah, would you like some cocaine with that? Yeah, I've got a toothache. Imagine being a doctor back then. It was like, you'd just be show up work, dead drunk, and be like, fucking demons in your blood. Was in just, soap, want it, yeah. arsenic. They yeah, just here, have this fucking cocaine. That'll sort you out. So, Nanny's next spouse was Harley Lanning of Lexington, North Carolina. He was also a drinker, and on top of that, a massive flirt. I mean, you can't talk, Nanny. Nanny couldn't stand how popular Lanning was with the ladies, and she snapped when Lanning threw a raging party while she was out of town. The party was so wild that the police had to come by and, according to Nanny, haul the partygoers out of bed. In a blind fury, Nanny poisoned a plate of Lanning's food in 1952, and he was dead before the weekend. Now, with three husbands out the way, Nanny was ready to change her approach. Her search for Mr. Wright had failed miserably so far, since she kept getting stuck with flirts, drinkers, or men like Braggs, who didn't accept the fact that sometimes a girl just wanted to run away from home for a week or two. I mean, we've all been there. (laughs) So she took matters into her own hands and signed up for a mail-order husband. For $5, she became a card-carrying member of a lonely hearts club called the Diamond Circle based out of St. Louis. Now, each month for an entire year, the fine curators of the Diamond Circle would send her a list of lonely men and Nanny could contact whoever she liked. Now, this this is like Tinder, isn't it? Before Tinder. It's just yeah. like, here's a list of men. You're like, I'll take him. Anyway, she struck up a correspondence with a darkly handsome Kansan named Richard Morton and things moved quickly on from there. On the 21st of January 1953, the operator of the Diamond Circle received a letter from Morton. Will you please take our names off your list? R.L. Morton Sr. in Port Kansas and Mrs. Nanny Lanning, Jacksonville, Alabama. For we have met and we are very happily married. She is a sweet and wonderful woman. I would not have met her if it had not been for your club. But it didn't take long for things to fall apart, though. Morton worked nights at a pool hall, but during the day he liked to put on his best suit and head out on mystery business. Mysterious. I mean, this man doesn't sleep. He's working in a pool hall, and then he gets up, puts on his suit. He's like, I'm going out from our mystery business. Now, this disturbed Nanny. Why would he go to town all dressed up when his sweet and wonderful wife was right there at home? Even worse, when she was away on a trip to North Carolina, she somehow heard that Morton had purchased a set of rings during her absence. Rings could only mean one thing, she theorised. He was seeing someone else. I lost my head and I blew up when I found out that he had been running around with another woman, she said. She decided that if Morton could take secretive purchases, so could she. So she came back from North Carolina with a bottle of liquid poison stashed in her suitcase. Later, police would speculate that Morton had initially bought the rings as a gift for Nanny, but then pawned them to follow her to North Carolina, perhaps realising that she was furious at him. Now, if that was the case, here was the grand romantic gesture she'd always wanted. She just didn't know about it. <laughs> Instead, she just stirred poison into his coffee, convinced he was cheating on her. Jesus Christ, Nanny. I mean, they always like, there's always that thing of, oh, women are crazy, but this is like, sort of like, this isn't like cutting up your clothes. This is like, I think he's cheating on me. Maybe you should have it out with him. Well, I was going to say, like, why not just have a conversation? It's like, I saw those rings and you going about in a suit on the daily. What's going on? Instead of like, I know what I'll do. I'm just going to poison the fucker. Yeah, just pour some fucking poison in his Poison, it, sol- it solves all problems. Like, yeah, 
fucking nice one, Nanny, you dick. If her first four marriages had been tinged with vice, alcohol, violence and lust, her final marriage was so prosaic that it threatened to drive Nanny insane with boredom. Sam Doss was a real dud, a parsimonious highway worker and part-time free will Baptist minister living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He wouldn't let her buy a TV set, even though she really wanted one, and he wouldn't let her dance. Fucking kill, Joey. Fucking, this is the plot of Footloose, this is. Isn't it? Kev- they need Kevin Bacon there. Kevin Bacon Teach him how sold, to dance. Solve this. He could. Now, Nanny Doss said, He got on my nerves. When asked to explain why she tried to kill Doss two separate times. At first she stewed up a huge kettle of boxed prunes and danced them with poison. So apparently prunes were a major hit in the 1950s. And President Eisenhower declared that his favourite food in the world was a dessert consisted of partially whipped egg whites... Prune pub and unflavoured gelatin called prune whip. That sounds fucking appalling. That sounds fucking horrible. Fucking President Eisenhower, I'm glad you're dead. Now, it turned out Dossie's appetite was the only generous thing about him. He sure did like prunes, Nanny said. I fixed him a whole box and he ate them all. Now, the dish sent him to the hospital for 23 days, but didn't quite finish him off. So the day after he returned, Nanny fixed him with the Richard Morton special. Piping hot coffee with a dollop of rat poison. Now, this one did the trick, because she knew it would. Fortunately for the remainder of America's lonely gentlemen, prunes and coffee were the last dishes Nanny ever poisoned. That's a fucking... It's a poor last meal, that is, isn't isn't it? it? Well, have you had prunes and coffee? The attending physician refused to sign Dossie's death certificate without an autopsy to determine the cause of death. Oddly enough, Nanny loved this idea and agreed that they should definitely figure out what killed Doss because it might kill someone else. Her husband's vital organs were sent to a lab in Oklahoma City and the pathologist there returned the damning evidence. Doss had enough arsenic inside him to kill 18 part-time free will Baptist ministers. That's a lot of arsenic. She did herself fucking dirty there, didn't she? Just yeah. send his organs off. Like, we, we need to find out what killed him. You killed him, didn't you? No. no. Like, um, me? Oh, sir, I do believe you are wrong. That's a fan, by the way. I could tell. I yeah. could tell. I liked That's it. I liked it. I'm imagining that fan maybe, like, with the lace around Yeah, and she's like, oh, sir, you're giving me the vapours. Give me the vapours. Have a cake. <laughs> That's oh, do have a care. Like, would you like some prunes? Like, no. Because they're fucking minging. And laced with arsenic. Probably. In a photo taken after her long confession was over, Nanny Doss is leaving the courthouse with the homicide captain. She's smiling broadly and looks perfectly at home. She's like, I've got myself a lovely man here. Oh, look, he's got me in chains. And he's just like, shut the fuck up. I'm sick of you. So, through Nanny's flirtatious demeanour, corroborated her story somewhat. Lonely Hearts Club member looking for love in all the wrong places. The police weren't convinced she was telling the whole truth. There were too many other mysterious deaths linked to her name, including those of her mother, father, two sisters and two of her children, and a step-grandson. But when you tried to get her to admit to killing relatives, Nanny's attitude changed abruptly. You can dig up all the graves in the country, she snapped. And you won't find any more of me. Psycho. Anyway, Nanny acted deeply offended by these insinuations. The evidence was pretty damning, though. She'd been hanging around both her sisters and her beloved mother right before they died. Then the day after her mother's funeral, Nanny had pranced off to marry Richard Morton. 
nor exactly the picture of a bereaved daughterhood, and the brother of Frank Harrelson, husband number two, called the police to report a chilling anecdote from a decade earlier. He and Harrelson had been walking past a cemetery when Harrelson pointed out the little grave that belonged to his grandson, muttered that the boy had been poisoned, and then said simply, I'll be next. Let's fucking get a gun. I mean... We'll club us today. I mean, you're Americans. If you think someone's poisoning you, shoot them. Think someone's got a sandwich, shoot them. None of this has fit with the image that... Walk down the school hall. Shoot them. Yeah, it's America. Land of the free. Free. Sorry, Yanks. So none of this fit with the image that Nanny had so carefully crafted. That a breezy, good-humoured grandmother who flirted with police smiled at the press, cracked jokes about the whole silly situation. Okay, so she maybe killed a husband or two, but it was all tinged with a bit of arsenic and old laced esque humour, which, that was a movie that came out when Nanny was 38, by the way. Old Lace? Um, arsenic and Old Lace. Arsenic What a title. Know, Fuck yeah. yeah. And anyway, her husbands were cheats, liars, abusers and prudes. In the light of her murders, were they were practical. Just the sort of get-a-done move you'd see from a sensible housewife. I mean, yeah. it is really, isn't it? It's, it's like, direct. I'll give it that. Yeah, but, you know, she'll be fine with it. But other sources vehemently deny that Morton or Lanning had ever cheated on her. In fact, the salacious story of Lanning's supposed orgy was contradicted by none other than Charlie Braggs, Nanny's first husband. In a peculiar twist, one of Nanny's and Braggs' surviving daughters had ended up marrying Lanning's nephew, and the party that the police interrupted was actually just an innocent family visit. All that happened was that the police heard there were strangers in the house, which is out in the country by itself, and went out to see who it was, said Charlie Braggs. Nanny wrote us a terrible letter after that, but there was no more calm, steady man in the world than Harley Lanning. There you go. He was a calm, steady man. He was. Apparently sleeping with his nephew's daughter, possibly. Anyway, Sam Dossie's brother also began poking holdings in Nanny's story. He'd been suspicious of her from the start. No woman is going to travel a thousand miles or so to marry some plain working man just because she wants him. I mean, you do your brother dirty there, aren't you? Yeah, you Maybe do. she, you know, well, you, oh, I'm the handsome brother. You know, no one's going to do that, are they? <laughs> anyway, he watched Nanny torture the puritanical Sam Doss by smoking openly and wearing scandalous outfits, and he disagreed with the popular perception of Nanny as a simple, candid, open and cheerful. That wasn't the nanny he knew. She was a smart one, he said. She was shrewd, very shrewd. And I seem to remember that she'd sometimes tell you one thing and then next time just the opposite. Now, despite her detractors, nanny was enjoying her newfound celebrity. She hammed it up for the press and they rewarded her with splashy headlines like Calm, affable grandmother tells of poisoning four or five spouses. Tulsa grandma charmed him, poisoned him. Nanny Doss once carried a pistol. Was well liked. Was well liked. I don't know if it's the pistol or Nanny Doss was well liked. I think it was the pistol. Yeah, the pistol was well liked. That's a weird, like, phrase, like a term of endearment. If you have it, you're a right little pistol. I remember seeing, like, you know, on like the pay on outside newspaper shops where they got like the head the board with the headline on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I saw one said Cat Lover, forty six murdered, and I was like. How sad was this person's life that the only thing that they could describe him as was cat lover. Cat lover. And who did they piss off? Like, 
don't know, probably the RSPCA or something. Well, they have been known to do that. Yeah. Haven't they? Mm. You're just there stroking your dog and then all of a sudden the door bursts open and somebody from the fucking, the fucking RSPCA there with a shotgun twat fucking down. Dragging your dog out. Dragging your dog out, fucking kicking it to death and it's there fucking yelping like ow, 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 and then they shoot you in the face. That happened once. You wake up covered in piss. Anyway, <laughs> moments before she appeared to be on TV to be interviewed, the cameraman suggested she remove her glasses and smile for the camera, quipping, you might get another husband if you look nice. Nanny replied, ain't that the dying truth? <laughs> Laughing at her own pun. Yeah. Oh. Now, she was Oklahoma's biggest news story of 1954, and she knew it. The second biggest news story was that hay bale that looked kind of like President Roosevelt. It was a good now, hay bale, that it was. was. Yeah. Nanny was cel- certainly not the first or last serial killer to achieve or even enjoy celebrity, but she was a celebrity at an interesting time in America. Now, think of everything cliche you know about the 1950s. You know, housewives vacuuming with martinis in their hands and existential horror in their eyes, and every home was outfitted with a TV set. Nanny's celebrity fit perfectly into the social landscape. She was twisty parody of the housewife, a woman seemingly obsessed with marriage and cooking, but a woman who used her feminine charms to catch and kill men instead of catching and keeping them. She wore cat-eye glasses and lipstick. Her hair was curled. She was photographed in a double string of pearls. She appeared on TV giving interviews and flirting with cameramen, creating an intimacy between audience and murderer which would be been unthinkable in the case of previous lady killers and enabling her reputation to spread farther and farther. Now, perhaps the version of femininity that Nanny presented to the world seemed, in a dark way, more appealing and more accessible to her female peers than the versions that we're receiving from other sources. Now, after all, the rest of America's housewives changed the channel away from coverage of Nanny's case. They would have been presented with goddesses like Marilyn Monroe, glimmering in tight white dresses and marrying baseball stars so perfect as to feel utterly foreign to them. So Nanny's court-appointed lawyers refused to make a plea for her, insisting she was mentally incompetent, so she was given a default plea of not guilty. Nanny herself continued to flirt with everyone in power. On the way to the courthouse, she told the prosecuting attorney that she'd been cold in her jail cell, and to prove it, she placed one of his freezing hands on the back of his neck. When the police woke her from an evening nap to interrogate her, she laughed. I don't know why you guys get me up at this hour to talk to me. I've been talking to you for a week. Her lawyers finally had to tell Nanny to stop chatting to the police altogether for fear she'd let something slip about the dead family members. So they're like, stop fucking flirting with these guys, okay? And she's like, oh, but they're so lovely to me. And he's like, just shut fuck up and stop touching your prosecuting lawyer. She said, but my hands were cold. Meanwhile, bodies were being dug up all over the country. Arsenic was found in everyone in Nanny's dead husbands, and the murder charges racked up against her accordingly. None of these findings were a surprise, since Nanny had already admitted to these particular murders, but there was one shocking reveal. Despite Nanny's insistence to the contrary, an autopsy revealed that her mother's body was loaded with arsenic. Why was Nanny so loath to admit that she killed her mother? She'd been practically giddy about the murders of her disappointing husbands, as if she were entitled to take their lives. 
Now, considering how enthusiastically she agreed to the autopsy of Sam Doss, it almost seems as though she wanted her husband's killings to come to light. Yet she couldn't bear the suggestion that she harmed her mother. She constructed a narrative that only that she only killed those deserving of death, and killing innocent family members didn't fit with the story. I'd get down on my knees and crawl anywhere for my mother, she insisted, and the papers printed it, word for word. Now, though the image she manufactured was one of a harmless, lovelorn femininity, an image reliant on both sexist and ageist assumptions about who could be dangerous and when Nanny, the alleged mother killer, actually had a horrific dark side. This might seem obvious since she murdered like 11 people, I think, um, including a child, but strangely or perhaps predictably, she didn't really scare people. For the American public, Nanny was forever an affable grandmother and the punchline to a joke. Now, if you look at Ted Bundy, he makes waves not just for the crimes, but for the ability to pass as a normal, non-violent and even charming. So, Ted Bundy said, I was a normal person, I had good friends, I led a normal life, except for this one small, very potent and destructive segment that I kept very secret and close to myself. When they're not committing these monstrous crimes, they walk among us, looking perfectly innocent, and in Nanny's case, plump, cute, and grandmotherly. Isn't that the part of what's so horrifying about serial killers, Les? That, you know, the next Ted Bundy or Nanny Doss could have been your next-door neighbour, and Nanny could make you a cup of coffee. Well, you don't know, do you? Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, they look just like us. I mean, you've got some who, like, I mean, that Picton fellow, you know... The, the one who fed people to pigs. Yeah. Who, like, you look at him and you clearly go... Yeah. Mm, sketchy. But the majority, I mean, like, Dharma was, like, a charming-looking, like, yeah. sort of guy. I mean, a lot of them were... Well, I, I just want to take four daughters of you, right? That's, that's how they fucking get you, though, isn't it? It's like they look unassuming I've and just, you. like, the person... We're going to watch some talk. videos and then you can leave. Oh, which Exorcist 3, yeah? It's yeah. my favourite. Now, Ted, you know, he was a rapist and necrophiliac. He's objectively scarier than Nanny, who was giggling and poisoning prunes. You know, but serial killers aren't scary because they're male. They're scary because they destroy order. Or rather, they reveal that what that we perceive as order and normalcy. So the old American boy, the giggling grandma, housewife, vacuuming, yada, yada, yada. And while being... And it's been a violent lie all along. Now, in the 1950s, Nanny Doss looked for f- far more like an average housewife than Marilyn Monroe did. She embodied the order of things, mothering, marrying, cleaning the kitchen floor, and yet she brought death into the wake. Now, by December the 5th, the press learned that this gentle grandmother had another morbid hobby. She'd love to compose two tombstone epitaphs. Her wow. step-grandson's tomb read, Darling, how we miss thee. Lanning simply said, We'll meet again. I mean, they're not very good epitaphs, are they? No, they're not the best. I mean... Not like Spike Milligan's. Like, I told you I was sick. But the thing is, though, she's like, I love making them. What's that Spike Milligan? Yeah, I told you I was ill. Yeah. And at Nanny's preliminary hearing on December 15th, the judge decided to turn her over to the state asylum so doctors could determine whether she was insane or not. Our sneak Nanny wasn't upset about the compulsory 90-day stay. In fact, she was relieved. It seemed to her like a little luxury. Now maybe I'll get some rest. I won't have to answer so many silly questions, she laughed. 
She had high hopes for the asylum vacation, telling a jail matron, Maybe those ducks at the hospital will teach me to string think straight. It's like, probably not. They'll probably give you electroshock therapy. Yeah. True to form, Nanny, Nanny thoroughly enjoyed herself at the asylum, where she celebrated her 50th birthday. She was gay. Gained plenty of attention due to her continuous celebrity status, and she made sure to primp every time the staff psychiatrist came round to examine her. One of the doctors raved about her behaviour to the press, noting that she still suffered from headaches, a holdover from a childhood accident, but that otherwise her health was perfect. In fact, she was nearly perfect. If you had small children, he said, you'd be delighted to have her as a babysitter. What the fuck? Now, his supervisors disagreed. <laughs> they were like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. On March 14th, a group of medical examinators declared Nanny mentally defective with a marked impairment of judgment and willpower and recommended that she be recommitted to the asylum. But the prosecution pressed on, demanded that she at least be tried for murder. So Nanny was tossed back into jail while her attorneys entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. A sanity hearing was set for April, with everyone rolling their eyes about it as dueling sides gathered their experts. The hearing shapes up as a battle of contradictory and testimony by the psychiatrist snorked a little paper from South Carolina. Nanny disliked the confining setup of jail and wanted to go back to her tiny slice of asylum paradise, where everyone knew her name, just like Cheers. <laughs> you can't see people in jail, and I like people, she complained. She, perhaps she meant that, that. Perhaps what she meant was that in jail people couldn't see her. She still managed to charm another month or two from behind bars. One elderly suitor went so far as to mail her a marriage proposal, but Nanny tore his letter up. I've had enough of husbands, she told the press, who were usually hanging on to her every wisecrack. Her sanity hearing turned out to be a jumble of he-said-she-said bullshit, with Nanny's um, sanity or lack thereof batted back and forth like a badminton shuttlecock. Mrs. Darcy is mentally defective and is now insane in the legal sense. She also has been crazy for a long time, thundered a doctor for her defence. The prosecutor hissed that he had five psychiatrists on hand who were all ready and willing to declare her sane, and then quoted from a doctor's report, she is a shrewd, clever, sharp, calculating, selfish, self-aggrandizing female who aggressive behavior under frustration releases her hostility towards men, particularly her husbands. A superintendent from the state asylum noted that Nanny would giggle extensively at nothing for ages and then fall into long, dark depressions. If that wasn't insanity, what was? I don't know. Yeah. Seeing elephants... Wearing tutus. Driving cars. So, um, the prosecution's expert scoffed. Nanny was a sociopath, one of them said, and a shrewd, calculating female who feigned insanity to escape the electric chair, the cleverest criminal he had ever interviewed. At that final statement, Nanny laughed out loud. She was like, <laughs> I am the cleverest, but I'm also insane. After three days of this, it took the jury a mere 15 minutes to decide that Nanny Doss was sane. The killer herself hardly concurred. I'm sane as anybody, she chuckled. I guess I ought to know better than anybody if I'm crazy. I never felt more sane in my whole life. Now she chewed gum while the verdict was declared and grinned at the photographer as he took her portrait. Nanny's official trial was set for early June and so everyone was shocked when on May 17th she suddenly pled guilty. She was hoping for a lighter sentence and thought maybe an unexpected plea of guilty would earn her some clemency. 
it's also possible she misunderstood the implications of pleading guilty. One idiot. Then she's like, ah, oh, it's going to get me the chair? Ah, oh, I must say, I am insane. No, you just said you're not. She wanted to be sent back to the asylum where she'd felt so free and popular. And perhaps she didn't realise that it was too late for that. She'd been officially declared sane, and with this plea of guilty, she was now officially a murderer. Her sentencing took place on June the 2nd, where the prosecution urged the judge to consider the death penalty. Nanny sat between her attorneys, chewed more gum, and wore an attractive blue party dress. Nice. The hearing was brief, but the sentence was long. Life in prison. It could have been the electric chair, but the judge couldn't bear the thought of killing a woman. Pussy. Yeah. Fucking... This court has never heard of a woman being put to death for any crime in Oklahoma, he said. It may come as happen someday, and the people of this state would very reluctantly see such come to pass. That's been very generalistic. You it, don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's been some, like, revenge deaths. Oh, definitely. They'd be like, oh, I'll put you to death. Why? Because you didn't milk the cow or something. I don't know what they do in Oklahoma. After the sentencing, Nanny remarked, I have no hard feelings. Nanny entered prison on June the 4th and dropped out of the news until a reporter interviewed her in September. I thought everyone had forgotten me, said Nanny. I thought I was just out of the headlines. She mentioned she'd lost eight pounds in jail because she did the laundry the hard way. But complained the hard way? The hard way, you know, scrubbing. Right, with one of them, uh, yeah. where's me wash, she was in a like, little skiffle band after <laughs> But she complained that her headaches were getting worse. Nanny also told the reporter she was tricked into signing the statement about Dossie's poisoning. This wasn't the first time she'd hinted at a conspiracy. Months before, she told a reporter from Tulsa World that she had been duped into confessing the murders of her four husbands and that she got the idea for her confession from a magazine story. Perhaps Danny realised that her status as a celebrity murderer would not last forever, and so she no longer wanted to claim that identity for herself. She was dreaming up a better angle on her own story, an innocent, lonely hearts lady hoodwinked by police. Otherwise, Nanny seemed happy enough with no desire to go back to her old routine of marriage and housework. I'm a very funny person, she said. If they turn me out right now, I'd go straight to the hospital at Venetia and be content to spend the rest of my life there. It sounds sort of crazy, doesn't it? Because <laughs> she's not crazy though. Though the asylum may have been her ultimate ideal, Nanny still adored prison. She got to do everything she could get to do with Sam Doss. She watched movies, she watched TV, and she participated in the occasional dance strictly for the 50 women prisoners. Because, you know, in Oklahoma, I'm sure no women have relationships together. No. She loved the jail matron, Mrs. N.F. Whitaker, who was just like a mother to her. Nanny had a small heart attack in September and took a month of bed rest, but other than that, she was having a wonderful time. Her surviving members didn't visit her, but perhaps she expected that. Prison, she said, was just like being at home. But what did home even mean for Nanny Doss? Now, she resented her father for leaving her mother and breaking up their nuclear family, but when she went on to destroy five separate portraits of American marriage herself, she framed her husband's killings as the act of someone who's disappointed in love. Silly Nanny, always a little too intense in her search for Prince Charming, but she wouldn't claim responsibility for the deaths of her family members. Nanny seemed to have very specific ideas about the roles of husbands and families should play, and she reacted furiously when people disappointed her by not fulfilling those roles. 
From the prosecution, remember her aggressive behaviour from underneath frustration releases her hostility towards Menlas. Yeah, yeah. Now, it seems likely that her issues originated from or were exacerbated by her early childhood hedge injury since numerous studies in recent decades have linked frontal lobe injuries to increased incidence of violent, yeah. uncontrollable social behaviour. Now, perhaps her wounded extreme reactions also stemmed from her earliest and greatest disappointment in another human, her father, who stifled her girlish longings for romance, who practically arranged her marriage, and who put the final nail in the coffin that he held her ideals of love when he abandoned her mother. But none of this was explored in much depth in the press, nor the decades following. Now, these days, Nanny is still remembered as a hilariously murderous grandma who read romance novels in jails and was obsessed with trading in her husbands for newer models. Now, this attitude continues today towards older women who kill. Now, there's a disparity between the grandma archetype that smiles of this, smiles, great, bakes great, like Rose West. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She bakes great pies. She's got cozy knowledge, good old days, and the, and the murderer archetype, physically strong, usually male, follows his victims down dark alleyways, crawls through bedroom windows, is just too much to reconcile. Now, people tend to collapse back onto humour to deal with and and or diminish it, like us. As an editorial about Danny Doss once chirped, Grandma, you rat. Now, you've got to hand it to her, though. She was smart. She knew how to work out the best angles. She was clever enough to realise that as a husband killer, she could hide behind this dopey, lovesick persona and possibly escape with her life. If she'd appeared in the press as a matricidal maniac, she would never have gotten the attention that she did. The chuckles from cameramen, the jibes from police officers, the doctor who genuinely believed she'd make a great babysitter. Then Nanny adored that attention and Nanny felt so constricted by the men in her life from a controlling father to Sam Doss who was like just fucking puritanical. Now she was like a reality TV star emphasising only the most marketable aspects of her shady past. Slowly, her story turned into a twisted fairy tale, the fickle princess who couldn't find what she wanted, and the doomed suitors who couldn't give her what she needed. Now, in prison, Nanny retained her signature humour. In 1957, she quipped, When they get sure in the kitchen, I always offer to help out, but they never let me work there. <laughs> wonder why, Mrs. Arsenic. Just keep the arsenic away from him. It's like, okay, here's the food, cook that, yeah. What about this rat poison? We'll just leave that there. Just don't use it. Just keep the poison away. It's not seasoning. Uh, the press still charmed by her reported this widely. Now, after two years of being locked up, she told a journalist from the Daily Oklahoman that she'd lost her the will to live. She wanted to be tried again in Kansas or North Carolina, where she'd also been charged with murder. Maybe they would give me the electric chair, she said. Now, alas, life stretched on uneventfully for her and nobody took seriously. Seven years into her sentence, she faked another heart attack, which got her out of the prison, at least momentarily. Now, doctors couldn't find anything wrong with her. Grandma, you rat. Exactly. Ten years into her sentence, on June the 2nd, the same day she'd been sentenced to life in prison, Nanny Doss died of leukaemia. Now, her notoriety was all used up by then. People had stopped paying attention to her years before... Headlines called her husband killer and mate poisoner and admitted slayer when they announced her death because her name was no longer enough to remind the world why they should care about Nanny Doss. And thus ends the ballad of Nanny Doss. What did you think, Les? All right, that one was. Yeah, yeah it's just weird. Do you think you'd go for it? No. Even if she baked your nice cakes? 
like she comes around, you're going around a house because you're doing a bit. Of, imagine you're doing a bit of work, a bit of grafting around there, and she's like, "Oh, would you like one of my cherry cakes?" And you eat it, and you're like, "This is the best fucking cake I've ever had." She's flirting with you a bit. She's like, "Oh, Leslie," like that. You know, you got a lovely beard. No, I still wouldn't. I can see you're aroused now just by my voice. No. I just need a piss. <laughs> there you go. Les gets around. He goes for a piss. But thank you. Um, let us know what you think. Nanny Doss was fucking mental. Yeah, she, she was, was crazy. I just like, I kind of like it just because she's like, uh-huh. oh, mercy me. But deep down, she's like, I fucking got you. I fucking rat poison. Like rat poison into the coffee. Good, but yeah, um, let us know what you know. Do you like that one? Um, we'll be doing more stuff like this because you know we're recording all of these in one day, so it gives me months. Gives I don't have to go around to your girlfriends, also. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. The self enclosed studio is going to be taken there, isn't it, Les? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He didn't sound very convincing there, did he? Everything's going to be there, so it'll just be there in a different room where you didn't get sexually assaulted by a ghost. Yeah. Just his girlfriend. But yeah, um, if you do like what we do, you can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Email us at enterthedarkpodcast at gmail.com. I forgot our email address there. It's not hard, is it? Um, if you do like what we do and want to support us, you can go to Patreon by going to www.patreon.com forward slash enterthedark. The names of the patrons should be going up um, right about now. Um, but yeah, come join us. Thank you for watching. Remember to like subscribe and leave a comment and all that stuff because youtube haters um yeah i've been jan he's been les take care bye bye